Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. How many of you believe God is at work in this place? How many of you believe God is at work in your life? Do you know that it is no surprise that I can preach something and you will come afterwards and say, I just read that, or we just talked about it in in Bible study, or I just had a conversation with somebody. It literally happens every single week. Let me tell you why. Because God is a God who knows the first and the last. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows all things in every single one of us. And because God is at work in you, He is affirming in you His Word. Because the Word of God will not come back void. And so I believe absolutely, completely that today you are here because God has a Word for you. Now, here's the thing. I've done everything I can do to prepare this message to give to you today, but what you get from it is really dependent upon the condition of the soil of your heart. So you will, you will receive that which you are ready to receive. And so let's take just a moment. We don't do this every week, but let's take a moment, if you will, and just maybe close your eyes and bow your head, just prepare your heart. Say, God, what is it that you want me to hear today? These are not my words. These are the words that God wants you to know. So what is it, Lord, that you want me to hear today? Prepare my heart, prepare the soil to hear and to believe. Father, I do thank you for your goodness. And Lord, as we've already said multiple times, you are the reason that we are here. It's all about Jesus I pray that you would prepare our hearts, even as you have already prepared our hearts, to receive what it is that you'd have us to know today. And God's people said, amen. So open up your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. You know, Christmas time brings about a lot of feelings. Uh, For a kid, it, it often is a feeling of excitement and um, you know, the, the newness of, hey, we're getting presents and gifts. For adults, it, it oftentimes brings back the, uh, the reminiscing of times when we were kids. How many of you, when you were kids, you did certain things, and every time you hear a song or you see an ornament or you have something happen, it triggers this memory back in your life? Maybe it may, might not even be a good memory sometimes, but, you know, that's the way Christmas is. It's this, this special place in our life. But there are feelings or there are truths that we understand with Christmas as well, like joy and peace and goodwill and and all of these other words. This Christmas season, I want to focus primarily on one word, and that word is joy. Joy is not, and here's what's really funny about this. I told you the no accidents. I had no idea the women's Bible study was going to be something about joy. What's the title of it again? Finding joy. Defiant joy. I can't hear, sorry. So, I mean, I'm telling you, God is up to something, and I think maybe the word for us today is this. Joy is part of a believer's life. But joy is not what some people might think. Joy is not just happiness. Happiness and joy are cousins, but they're not the same word. See, happiness oftentimes is external, or it depends upon external circumstances. I'm happy because these things are good in my life. 
Joy is wholly different. Joy is an internal satisfaction or an internal completeness or an internal happiness or an internal steadiness that really is uh, uh, independent of the external circumstances that are going on. So we can have joy even though things in our life aren't necessarily working right or being, uh, uh, being fleshed out the way we thought that they would flesh out. And so that's actually where I want to start today. Because we were told that because joy is a part of a, per- a believer's life, it should be there. But joy in the midst of trial is really where God does some of his most amazing work inside of us. So let's start, though, in Luke chapter 2. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. Luke chapter 2, um, in verse 8 and 9 and 10 and 11, essentially what happens is the, the shepherds are out in their field, Right? And an angel appears to them. And in the glory of God, this angel shines in front of them. And the shepherd's first reaction is fear. They're afraid. And you know, I can't be hard on them because I think I might be afraid if this angelic being shows up in front of me as well. And the Bible says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus and the whole empire should, that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while... Uh, so-and-so was a governor in Syria, and so everyone went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph went up from the town of... Na- oh, sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse, aren't I? I was wondering, I'm like, I didn't plan to say that, but I guess it's there. Let me start where I'm supposed to be. Verse 9, in the same region, just turn to the person next to you and say, don't worry, he's an idiot. I get that all the time. Okay, you didn't really have to do that. I was joking. Verse 8, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their night, uh, watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord, was born to you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in clothes and lying in a feeding trough. So here's what's going on. They see the glory of God shining through this angel, and they are afraid. In fact, they're not just afraid. They are terrified. And they are, they, 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 it's one of those moments where they don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond. I suspect that some of you are in those moments now. There might be somebody in here who's, or or there probably is somebody in here who you're in that moment where you are terrified, you're afraid, you don't know what is next, you don't know what what, what the the, the next moment holds, and so you're just kind of frozen, not able to go right or left, not, not able to think clearly, all of those things that happen, and the angel of the Lord said these words, do not be afraid. Here's why you are to not be afraid, because I bring you good news of great joy. The key thing that I want us to hear today is this, joy is not dependent upon what you are facing. Joy is dependent upon the person of Jesus Christ. The angel says to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy, and that Good news is that today a baby has been born. 
The baby is Jesus. And then he tells them, go and you will find them lying in a manger or lying in a feeding trough. The whole passage here kind of gives us direction of what we're to do when we endure trial and struggle and suffering. And what we're to do is run straight to Jesus. Find Jesus because when we find Jesus, we find someone who was firm from the foundations of the earth. He does not shake. He does not tremble. He does not change. He does not move. He is impenetrable. He is all-knowing. He is all-loving. He is everything that He says He is. And so when we find ourselves terrified, we run as fast as we can to the person of Jesus Christ. And there's a purpose in this. Turn now, if you will, to the book of James, chapter 1. In James chapter 1, verse 2, this is what the Bible says. Consider it a great joy. Okay, I'm, I'm down with that. That's good. Great joy. But the next part is strange. Because nobody in their right mind says this. Nobody in the midst of trial and suffering and, and difficulty says, this is great joy. Consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials. Say, what? You mean to tell me when I'm suffering, I'm supposed to consider pure joy? You mean to tell me that when things aren't going the way they should, I'm supposed to be joyful? Which, remember, is an internal happiness. It's a, it's a deep-rooted uh, contentment or steadfastness that, that, uh, that, that is unshakable. Are, you mean to tell me that in the midst of the greatest trials of my life, I'm supposed to consider that great joy? What are you smoking? But see, here's the thing. There's a purpose that God allows and even sometimes brings trials and suffering into our lives. And the purpose is that He is our Father. If you know Jesus, you are in the family of God. And because you're part of the family of God, He treats you like a son or like a daughter. He deals with you as a good and perfect father would deal with you. He doesn't just roll out the red carpet and give you whatever you ask for and whatever you want. No, He's more interested in the character of who you are rather than in the content of what you do or provide for others. God always builds a man or a woman before He builds a ministry. If you build a ministry before you have the character to sustain the ministry, your ministry will fail. We see it over and over and over. And so James is saying, consider it pure joy when you face various trials. Now, what are these various trials? Look, we could go through the list, couldn't we? I mean, they extend from marriage trials to money trials to health trials to relational trials to work trials to school trials, right? I mean, you, you've got emotional trials. I mean, you could just, you, you've got addictions, you've got depressions, you've got all kinds of things that are going on. You, 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 you know, relational trials are probably the hardest thing. Many of us are probably constantly in and out of because relationships are hard, right? The Bible says it's pure joy, and we're supposed to consider it pure joy. In other words, change our perspective. Instead of seeing this as a, this is awful, see it for what it really is, and it's God saying, I am doing something in you that is eternal. 
I am doing something in you that is deeping, reaching deep down and rooting itself in such a way that you will not be moved because I am not moved. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, various trials. Why? Because we know that these trials are doing a work, uh, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Oh, what a word. We desperately need men and women of endurance these days, do we not? It used to be that people would never give up. They would never, ever, ever give up. And, and Kenny came in and taught us that we do need to know when to hold them and we, know ne- we need to know when to fold them, right? I mean, that, that was, we learned that, but it seems as though the pendulum has swung to the other direction, and now instead of never giving up, we up, oh, it's hard, poop, let go. If you've ever gone water skiing, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? If you've ever learned to slalom, or if you're an old guy and haven't slalomed in a lot of years, then you understand what endurance or what perseverance is like. This past summer, I was, uh, the two summers ago, I tried to slalom, and on the first day, on the third time, I didn't give up. I did not know when to fold them, and I heard something pop right here. It's like, oh. I couldn't breathe for like two months. I mean, it was horrible. This past year, I got smart. I bought a bigger ski. I bought one of those old guy skis, right, that's about that big. I mean, it's like a it's giant. But even still, trying to get up, here, here's what I kept hearing in my head. I kept hearing the person who taught me how to ski back when I was 15 years old. Jeff, you just got to put your head down and hold on, Right? You know that putting your head down and holding on is the essence of what endurance is all about. Endurance is, I don't like it, I'm not enjoying it, I don't want it, I didn't invite it, but I'm going to hold on because if I hold on, I will eventually get through this. And that's the word for you today. Sometimes you've just got to hold on. Whereas it used to be, We wouldn't stop for anything. Now it seems as though culturally we just let go at every small, slight little... People are quitting jobs after like three three months. Oh, I just don't feel satisfaction. It's been three months. You're still onboarding, right? People quit marriages after one or two years. Well, we're just not sinking together. Really? You've been married two years. I mean, if you dated, you should have known that first, right? But anyway, here's the thing. There is truly a time to let go. I'm not saying that you should hold on no matter what, because that is a bad idea if that's the case. Sometimes you do need to know when to say, you know what, I need to let go. But to the other side of that, we need to understand that endurance is a key part of a believer's life. But here's the thing. It's not just endurance in the trials, because the trials are not what the trials are not the focus. It's not about the trials. It's about endurance in that we are understanding who Jesus is. Let me say it this way. I was talking to a friend of mine this past week, and he was expressing his his desperation. He comes out of a a lifestyle that's a difficult lifestyle. It's it's just hard relationally, and and it's hard with, with things that he was doing. 
But he really wants to follow the Lord, and so he's trying his best to stay in the Word, and he's trying his best to be, um, you know, to, to be holy and all those things. And, and, and I can see it, man. He's being tugged back and forth, the old ways, back and then into the new, you know, the gospel. And his, his word to me was, man, Jeff, I just, ah, oh, so hard. Man, I'm just struggling so bad. And I thought to myself, brother, you just got to hold on because you are in the thick of it right now. And if you let go now, you're still going to have to come back and make up this time. But if you hold on, God is going to produce in you what he said he was going to produce in you. He was gonna, he's going to produce a perseverance and, or an, an, an endurance, and endurance must do its complete work. Ready for the payoff? So that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So here's what is going on. Oftentimes, when you are facing these trials and, and, and these struggles, what God is doing is not about the trial and the struggle. He's trying to He's trying to, sanct not trying, but he is sanctifying you. He's pushing out the junk in your life that doesn't need to be there. He's revealing the things in your life that are idols or revealing the things in your life that are, they might be good, but they're just not helpful to you. And he's, he's cleansing you, if you will, cleaning you out of all that stuff, making room for his character and his nature inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit so that you will be mature and complete and so that you don't lack anything. That is the purpose of these various trials. So we're to change the way we look at them and we're to consider them pure or consider it pure joy. I like to think of it this way. I am going to be thankful for the trials in my life knowing that the trials aren't going to finish me. The trials are just going to be something I go through so that I can be finished in Christ Jesus, mature and complete. Remember I was talking about a couple of weeks ago being um, no longer striving, not striving and, and constantly grasping and reaching. That's what it means to be mature and complete. When you don't have to doubt the character of God because you've seen Him faithfully over and over and over in your life. Uh, some of my heroes are Navy SEALs. I mean, I look at these guys and, and these ladies, and I'm like, wow. You know what's interesting? Navy SEALs are usually not the strongest in the bunch. They're usually not the most physically dominant in the bunch. In fact, oftentimes, the one that you think is going to tap out soon are the ones who stay in the whole thing and wind up being heroes. Why? In, in fact, I think what I read was one out of seven actually complete uh, the, the, the hell week, right? That's what they call it. It's a full week of just torture. Now, they say, at least what I've read, is that it, it, it's designed for the average person to endure. I'm not sure about that because I watched the movie. And if it's anything like the movie, remember the one with Demi, uh, Demi Moore? Remember that one? Y'all are going to go watch that, aren't you? All right. So uh, if you ever, it's like, wow, how do they do that? <laughs> Sorry, sidetrack. Um, but here's the thing. What they say is 
the reason they go through that is because they're not so much interested in the physical part. They want to build mental toughness. That the way that people stay and not quit is because they develop a bulldog-like mental toughness that says, I will not stop. Here's what we know. Your body can endure far more than you think it can endure. When you think you hit 100% on your body, there's actually more in the tank. The limitation is right here. I am not teaching humanism here. I'm not teaching that you should just think different. What I'm teaching is our thinking should be in line with the gospel when it comes to these trials and these sufferings and temptations and all that kind of stuff. When we get our brains in line with the gospel, our bodies will follow along. It will give us the ability to just hold on. Does that make sense? When it comes to our wrestling with God, it's perhaps the most difficult of all. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 32. In Genesis chapter 32, we have maybe the purest picture of what it means to just hold on. Genesis 32, verse 24 and following. This is, the, this is kind of the, uh, the turning point or the tipping point for Jacob. If you remember Jacob's history, Jacob was a, uh, he was a cheater. He was a man of, of opportunity. He was always looking for an angle. He was always looking for a way to one-up you or, or, or to get something for himself. You could use words like selfish, deceitful, um, conniving. All of those words would fit Jacob. And if you know the story, then Jacob actually lied to his father because he took advantage of his own father and he put hair on his face so that when his father reached out and touched him, he would believe that he was the older brother Esau. And so Jacob stole Esau's blessing. Doesn't mean a lot to us now because we don't operate that way, but back in the day, to give your oldest child the blessing was a monstrous event. It was a holy moment. Jacob swindled the blessing from Esau. Now, to be fair, Esau was culpable in some of this. Esau came in famished, and he goes, I'm going to die. I need some food. And Jacob said, I got an idea. See, he was swindling. He was conniving here. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you some food, but it's going to cost you your blessing. Of course, Esau said, fine. What good is a blessing if I die? There's a whole other sermon in that, by the way. Never, t- never trade a, a, a moment of pleasure for a lifetime of pain. Can I say that again? Don't ever trade a moment of pleasure for a lifetime of pain. We are really good about doing that. It takes moments to set our life on a really, really strange course. Although we can't overlook the redemptive nature of the gospel, but still, that's a lesson there. So Jacob swindles his brother. He gets his father's blessing, and then his brother's going to kill him, and so he leaves, and he goes to another land. And when he gets there, he sees this beautiful woman. He gives her water from the well, and he thinks, I'm going to marry that woman. So he goes to the father and makes a deal. He says, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me your daughter. And the father, Laban, says, sure, I'll do that. But here's the thing. The swindler got swindled. Because when it came time for the wedding, and I'm, I really think this is the origination of the veil. I think that the veil was to hide the person, and, and it's like peekaboo. You know, it's like Christmas when you open, whoa, right? 
So he, he, he's there at the wedding. He's like, whoa, I bargained for the other daughter. Why, Rachel, why are you giving me Leah? He goes, well, it's customary to give the older daughter first. So he got swindled. He got two wives out of the deal. Hello? He's not too bright, right? Let's not go there. There are lots of funny jokes in my head, but just, just imagine them, laugh to yourself, and let's move on. So he works another seven years to get Rachel. So now he has two wives, and then he decides to get back at his father-in-law by swindling the father-in-law. He makes this deal about the sheep and, and how he would separate them out, and he builds his wealth by swindling his own father-in-law, and then they have to leave to go back to his home country. This story takes place when he gets just far enough to where he was, he was within a close enough distance to his land that he sends his wife and his children all and, and his possessions away, and he's, he's sending them basically to protect them. So he puts them in half. If, if he gets attacked by his brother Esau, half of his family and possessions will live. This guy is really afraid. He sends them away, and the Bible says in verse 24, Jacob was left alone. Let's just stop here for a moment. A lot of the struggle that we deal with in our life, we never actually deal with. We just struggle. We just keep, we just keep trudging through it, not listening to what's actually going on. Physicians will tell you, I, I think they'll tell you anyways, correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, but physi- physicians will tell you that if your body is hurt, that means it's trying to tell you something. What we're good about is just ignoring the symptom and just moving on. When our body's going, hey, there's something wrong inside, fix the problem and the symptom goes away. Isn't this correct? And so it, it's, it's telling you, do something about it. What we're really good about doing is ignoring the reason for the struggle and moving on through it. And God is wanting to deal with the source of the struggle, the source of the pain directly so that you can be healed or so that you can be whole. Can I get a witness? This is what, look, if, if, you've, got, if you've got marriage issues, that struggle is a symptom of something else going on. What we like to do is blame the other person. We like to say, this is your fault, or this is what you're doing, or not doing, or whatever. But there's something else that we got to deal with, and once we deal with that, the relationship can be healed. It's the same thing with money issues. If you've got money issues, it's probably, not always, but it's probably that you've got a management issue, and the money issues are a result or they are a symptom of a deeper problem because money management issues is really a heart issue. It's not a money issue. It could be greed. It could be fear. It could be all kinds of things. And so, When Jacob was left alone, he was given the opportunity to truly wrestle with God. Don't miss this. We talked about this in our in our at my house on Wednesday with young adults. We don't like to be alone. We don't like to be alone. One thing that people often say is, I can't be in total silence. I gotta have some music going, I gotta have a TV in the background. And we try to justify that as if that's normal. Folks, that is not normal. That is, listen, that's an excuse to not be alone with your own thoughts. We need to be able to be alone with our own thoughts. 
Because when we are alone with our own thoughts, we can listen to the voice of God and we can allow our thoughts to be clearly heard by us. People say, well, when, I'm, when it's totally silent, my head just explodes. Guess what? If you don't give room for that, you're not going to fix it. It's just going to get stacked up on top of itself, right? There's a reason that we're to pull away, be still before God, and know that He is God. If, you're, if your brain is constantly moving, being still and being alone is especially important for you. And I am one, so I understand this, right? This is the reason that I hunt. This is the reason I go sit in a tree for 11 hours. Because in a tree for 11 hours, without cell coverage, there's nothing to do but deal with my own thoughts. And I will tell you this, I've had more profoundly impacting thoughts in a tree stand than I've had anywhere else in my life. Because I have to. Jacob was alone. And because he was alone, God wrestled with him and he wrestled with God. Listen to what the scripture says. Verse uh, verse 24, he was alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now here's the cool part. We don't know who this man was. What we do know is that the man was a type of Christ. Meaning, it was a, it was a Christ-like figure. So, it, it was, it, later on, it reveals it to be an angel of the Lord. We don't know if that was Gabriel. We don't know if that was Michael. We don't know who that was. Some even say it was Jesus. That's just speculation. What we do know is this. The picture of the Bible here is that God was wrestling with Jacob. They were wrestling. I, I just had this thought that somebody in here right now is restless, You are so restless internally. You're trying to do everything you can do to let the outside be peaceful and calm and and, and normal. But you've got this inner turmoil turmoil, and it's just eating you up. You You are just dying inside. What I want to say to you is this. Do not despise that. Face it. Deal with it. And you deal with it by going to the source of joy. You go to the source, just like Jacob did. He was face to face with God, and they wrestled. As they were wrestling, they wrestled until daybreak. Here's the cool part. This is is Hebrew. The Old Old Testament was written in Hebrew, so there's there's thoughts and ideas. And so he's kind of like painting a picture for us. It's the idea that a man was wrestling with a man. In the darkness. They weren't seeing each other. They were just kind of grappling with their eyes closed, if you will. The sun was starting to come up. It was about to be daybreak. And so, because it was man to man, it was an equal fight. But it really wasn't an equal fight. The man, the messenger of God, would have been, would have been uh, not, not letting him win, but basically giving just enough effort to where there was a struggle. It was an intentional struggle for the night. Here's why. The struggle was for a purpose. We're going to find out in a minute what that was. The struggle had to happen so that Jacob could be confronted with his own thoughts and with who he actually was. This struggle was going on. The the angel said, "Uh, let me go. And then he touched his socket. Let me make sure I get that in the right order. 
Um, verse 25, when the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as he wrestled and he dislocated his hip. And then he said to Jacob, let me go for it's daybreak. So in other words, the angel of the Lord touched his socket. Notice he says touched. So the idea is he just goes like that. It tells you that he could have won. He could have just pinned him if he wanted to. Much like when I wrestle my son, I could just boom and be all done with it. But you know, sometimes I just make him feel like it's a challenge. I just kind of let him win just a little bit, just so he, you know, doesn't feel like small. <laughs> That's for you, son, Mr. Mullet Boy. Um, <laughs> sorry. In this fighting, though, he touched his socket, which, which, which put him down. And at that point, the only thing he could do, listen, he didn't have the strength to win. He only had the strength to hold on. Sometimes you've just got to hold on. I don't know where you are in your struggle right now, but I can tell you that if you're at the point of giving up, God's word to you today is this, do not give up unless what you're giving up is self-reliance and pride and whatever else it is that is not what the Bible says you should have, but hold on to Jesus. That sounds so cliche, doesn't it? It sounds so, so simple-minded. But it's the, it's the whole thought of saying, Jesus, I don't understand, I don't want this, I didn't ask for this, but I'm going to trust that you are who you say that you are. And you're going to hold on as, hard, as tightly as you can, knowing that Jesus is going to do something powerful in your life. Here's what God did in Jacob's life. He said, let me go. The angel of the Lord told him. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. He was still at the moment thinking he was dealing with a man. He was saying to himself, I've given my entire night wrestling with you. I want something out of the deal. I'm not letting go now because if I let go now, I get nothing. But if I hold on, I'll get something for all of my troubles. Why would you let go now? You've already paid such a high price. Why not just hold on a little bit longer and receive what it is that God wants to do in your life? If you let go now, all of it's been wasted. Can I tell you a little secret that's not really a secret, but it's, it's a tough one? Everything that God has been doing up to this point, if you let go now, He's going to have to do it all again to get you where He wants you to be. If He's dealing with greed and it's been tough, you let go now, you're going to have to start over at the beginning. Why would you do that? Why not just, why not just hold on and say, all right, Lord, I give up. So holding on doesn't mean giving up the fight. Holding on means giving up the resistance. Stop resisting and hold on. And, G and, and the angel said to Jacob, what is your name? This is the key of the whole story. What is your name? And Jacob said, 
My name is Jacob. But it was something different than just saying his name. He was looking in the mirror and he was acknowledging who he was. I am Jacob. I swindled my brother. I deceived my father. I got swindled by my father-in-law, so I deceived my father-in-law. An eye for an eye. Tit for tat, right? This is who I am. I am not a man of character. I am not a man of integrity. I've lived my whole life with an angle trying to get what I can get, do whatever I need to do. For me, this is who I am. And then the angel said, no longer are you Jacob. From this day forward, you are Israel because you have wrestled, you have struggled with God. And you've endured. I really think that the word to us today is that in our wrestling with God, He wants to, he wants to keep the tension enough to where we will quit resisting, quit fighting, quit, quit arguing. If you have a kid in your house, you know what that's like, right? Just stop arguing. Just do it, right? You ever said that? Yeah, like well, yesterday, right? Stop fighting and trust me. You say, but what if the issue is control? What if the issue in your life is control? I want to control. Why? Because I've been hurt. Because I've been let down. I've been disappointed. I've been lied to. I've been cheated. And if I have control, I will ensure that that will never happen again. The only problem is it will still happen. Because the only one who can really manage our life, when I say manage, that's probably the wrong word. The only one who can really do in our life what we were built to do, the way we were created to be, is Jesus. He says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says in Matthew, why worry about your life, about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear? The pagans worry about these things. No, 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 no. Don't worry about these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be handed to you. All these things you don't have to worry about. Jacob said, I am Jacob. The angel of the Lord said, you are no longer Jacob, you are now Israel, because you've struggled with God. And if you follow the rest of the story, in the next chapter, Esau comes out. Jacob is still afraid. Esau forgives him, welcomes him home. It is an undeniable reception of grace. I believe that in your life, God wants to, because He said He does, He wants to mature you. He wants to complete you. He wants to grow you so that you don't have to strive, so that you can have that joy that is unspeakable joy. This morning, what is it in your life that you are wrestling with, that you are struggling with? What are the trials? What is it that... Stop and ask yourself, God, what do you want me to know? His answer is going to be, I want you to know me.
He's going to say of himself, I want you to know my goodness. I want you to know, I want you to believe that I am a father. I want you to believe that I am wise. I want you to believe that I am good and I'm kind and all those other things that describe the character and the nature of God. All those things we see in Jesus. This morning, if you're here and this is you, you're struggling. Again, could be anything. I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you, hold on to Jesus. Trust him. And he will complete his work in you. This morning, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus for the first time, I want to invite you to do that. If you're watching by way of television or Facebook Live, I want to invite you to trust in Jesus. The Bible says it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works. Nothing you can do will earn God's forgiveness. He's already extended it to you through the person of Jesus Christ. If you will repent, turn from your sin and turn to Christ, you'll believe what he said. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you will have simple faith, childlike faith, the Bible says that God will bring you into his family. It's that simple. You've got to stop you got to stop striving. you got to turn to Him to do that. We close your eyes and bow your head. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would help us to understand the true nature of your grace. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your, your peace that passes all understanding. I pray that you would truly help us to understand joy, even in the midst of trials. I pray, Father, for all that you're wanting to do in our life, that we would be receptive to that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So here's what happens now. We're going to sing a song. And let's go ahead and stand together. As we sing, this is an opportunity for you to take a moment and do something with what God has said to you. If he's brought something to mind, this is an opportunity for you to immediately do something. If you've never trusted Christ today, I'm going to invite you to do that. I'll be up here at the front. I'd love to pray with you. Today, if you've got some anger, bitterness, if you've got something that you've got to wrestle with, I want to invite you to do that, and we'll be closing in just a moment. Let's sing together.